Hello and welcome to another ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and I have to say, by any standard this week, we have a real who's who of the ATP tour with exclusive interviews from both the Queen's Club in London and Halle in Germany. You want to hear from Andy Murray? Stick around, you'll hear from Andy Murray and young 19-year-old Brit Jack Draper. What about Roger Federer? It's been a tough year. We find out how he's feeling ahead of Wimbledon. We also hear from the young Canadian who beat Federer in Halle, Felix Auger-Aliassime. He gives an update on his new coaching relationship with Tony Nadal. But first, let's hear from this week's champion at Queen's, the top seed Matteo Berrettini, ahead of the final against Britain's Cameron Norrie, the Italian number one, spoke with Anne-Marie Batson about his year to date. So far, a great year. Uh, I started pretty well in Australia, finals in ATP Cup with my, my Italian guys. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't play for my injury and it was tough because I, I struggled a little bit during, during 2020 and I was ready to, to start in the right way in 2021 and I had to stop again. But I worked really hard to get better, to get uh, in good shape. And I had, I think, my my best clay season so far in my career and now I'm really looking forward to to have a great grass season as well. And as you made good shape, as you say, one of your rewards was to make the quarterfinals at the 2021 Roland Garros facing the world number one Novak Djokovic. What was it like playing without a crowd? I mean, uh, for most of the the time until 3-2 in the fourth, we had the crowd and was a really one of the best feeling ever i think when the crowd gets you know like <laughs> hyped and stuff it's for us it's i think it helped us but it's just a crazy crazy vibe and everything looks like also the fatigue you know when you're tired you don't feel it because you feel the energy of the the crowd and then unfortunately we we had to stop and and then come back and and there i, I struggle a little bit but like i think everyone does um I think Novak great, played his best tennis and he proved again how why he's number one in the world. And but I, um, I'm also so happy for my performance. I think he's. I mean, he had to play his best tennis to beat me. So this this thing for sure gives me a lot of confidence. What did you learn from your performance? I learned that I have the level to play the best guy in in the world, and that when my weapons are working, when my mindset is the right one. I, I'm really dangerous and I can get all the goals that I set in my mind. Obviously, it, it's not going to be an easy, easy job, but that's why I'm here because I like, you know, like the hustle. <laughs> One hustling thing that you did was to win the singles title at the Serbia Open in Belgrade on clay, facing the Russian rising star Aslan Karatsev. What was it like having your family watch you lift the title and the trophy? The best feeling I think I had in my my career, if I think about them, uh, because all the finals that I played and I won, they were in there. So luckily I was able to win that one and it was special. It was special. They came just for the finals and I really wanted to, to win the match also, obviously for me, but for them as well. So it was a great feeling. I always say that without them, I wouldn't be here, wouldn't be competing at this level they they raised me and they not just in obviously in, in in a tennis court like they my attitude and stuff but also for the other stuff so uh I'm really i'm really happy for for my family to be there how have your family kept your feet on the ground mateo it's i think it's um a work that we started 
some years ago together because everything changed so quickly that we didn't expect that so now they tell me that all the friends and family friends and stuff are really always asking asking for me but I'm, I'm telling them that i'm just the same guy just that i'm really i mean i'm good at doing something that is a sport but i i try to be the same guy that that i was before my results Describe how you were then. You talk about being that same guy. How were you when you were playing Roger Federer the 2019 round 16 at Wimbledon? Too much on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I was that kid that I was, was watching him when I was in my house and I was a kid and I was cheering for him. No, it was something emotionally, uh, emotionally wise was really hard, hard to handle and send a court in Wimby uh against him uh, it was it was a dream you know and i couldn't focus on the match i was just like okay enjoy this and obviously he wasn't there for that he was there to beat me and but i learned a lot from from that match uh when i w i played the rafa in us open and then again him in london in the finals uh and that match i think helped me a lot congratulations once again to matteo Berrettini for winning his second title of the year, his first at the ATP 500 level and in doing so becoming the first Italian to win at Queen's. Berrettini beating Cam Norrie in the final. Great tournament for him and another Brit making great strides this week was 19-year-old Jack Draper who beat both Yannick Sinner and Alex Bublik to reach the quarterfinals. Clearly enjoying the grass as a young wildcard. I always knew that I'd be dangerous on the grass court, but I didn't. I didn't know I'd be in the quarterfinals at Queens at 19. And, you know, uh, playing Yannick and uh, Alexander Bublik. Uh, you know, that's been amazing for me. You know, I watch these guys on the TV week in week out, show their quality, and uh, to to share the court with them is a is a massive thing. And to go and beat them this week has has been uh, pretty unimaginable for me before this week. So uh, you know, seeing those guys around, you know, just getting used to you know, their quality and their professionalism, you know, is great for me. So hopefully in years to come, you know, I'll, I'll create many rivalries with these players. Uh, and uh, I'm very, uh, very excited to be in this position. But I know that, you know, it's just one week and it is a grass court. And therefore, you know, I have to be very, um, put things into perspective and uh, and just improve on the other surfaces as well to, to make my game uh, more complete. How tempting is it, though, to think too far ahead with your career, Jack? Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the thing with the tennis players. Like, uh, it's very hard to predict, you know, what's going to happen and where you're going to go. But uh, I'm confident that if I stay fit, stay healthy and keep on improving my tennis, you know, I can, I can go a long way in the sport. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing where I go. How competitive were you as a junior player and what advice and tools were you given to, to manage your emotions? What did you learn about yeah, I mean, I'd say when I was younger, I was very uh, badly behaved on court, you know, um, just very petulant, very, uh, you know, lots of swear words, lots of uh, racket smashing, lots of stuff like that. But I think as you get older, you realise that you're going to get fined or you're going to get, uh, you know, disqualified or, you know, people are going to be watching and thinking, you know, I don't really like this guy or whatever. So um, I think, you know, just more experiences and um, just a bit of growing up and maturing and, um, you know that sort of gains that perspective for you um, and so so yeah I mean uh, at the moment I'm managing to keep my uh, emotions pretty pretty level so I'm uh, yeah ho hopefully it's a sign that I've grown up a little bit. And how has having Andy Murray the former world number one three-time Grand Slam champion in your corner and helping you 
manage your emotions and understand that journey that he's been on as well with the tour? Yeah, Andy, uh, you know, he's an, he's a great player, but he's also a very, very good person. Uh, and so to be around him uh, at the National Tennis Centre and, you know, learning from him uh, as a player, but also as a, as a person and how he deals with the pressures of, of the injuries of the setbacks, you know, he's a, he's very strong willed and, you know, he's a, he's achieved so much throughout his career. So it's very inspiring for someone like myself. Uh, and so therefore um, I'll take as much information as I can from him. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's great to have Andy around. He's great. How daunting is it to suddenly have all this responsibility on your shoulders, Jack, like dealing with sponsors, accountants and media people like me? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. I mean, I think it's uh, it's a good thing if uh, you're doing all this stuff because it shows that you're doing doing the right things and that uh, you're playing well. So I guess that's what comes with it. And uh, and yeah, I'm I'm just glad that I'm uh, able to perform on the court at the moment and show uh, show what I'm capable of. What are you happy with at the moment on the court with your game style? Uh, I'm just happy that my game's moving in the right direction. You know, uh, I think I've got a lot of weapons that I can utilise on the tennis court. And uh, I can only improve, you know, my movement can improve, uh, different shots can improve. And uh, I'm trying to learn different ways that I can be more effective on the tennis court. So, so yeah, I'm sure that in the years to come, I can still make many improvements. And you talk about the years to come. Have you set yourself some goals or are you taking it one day at a time? I try to take it one day at a time. You know, I think it's so easy to look ahead uh, at your career, but you know, one thing I've learned about tennis is that it's uh, it's a bit of a roller coaster. You know, it's everything's up and down. Um, when I when I thought in the past that I was going to do something, it didn't happen to me. And when I did think something was going to happen, you know, nothing happened. So I just take it day by day at the at the moment. And um, and yeah, it seems to be doing me some good. So I'll uh, I'll keep that mindset. One of the good things that's happened to you is this week you've got your first wild card for Wimbledon. How did you find out about the news, and what was your first reaction? Yeah, I found out when it got announced uh, online, um, and I was I was very uh, very happy when I found out. You know, the the LTA and the All England Club have you know obviously shown their support in me, and uh, that means the world to me. So I just hope that I can go out and uh, perform again like I have done this week. What's your plans after Wimbledon, Jack? Hopefully, you know that's the other thing about tennis is that your ranking changes all the time. So you know, with the ongoing COVID situation, it's been. I've been in a very tough spot in the 300s because the cutoff for challenges are so uh, so high. You know, uh, in previous years, the the cutoffs for main draw are 350, whereas the cut for qualies now is 190. You know, it's uh, it's ridiculous, really. Um, and so a week like this week, uh, you know, has really helped my ranking. Uh, and hopefully, from from there on, from now on in, uh, I can start playing challenges uh, regularly and. Uh, look to progress on the Challenger Tour and get my ranking up. Jack Draper just starting out on his career. Not quite the same for Andy Murray, who continues to do all he can to prolong his love affair with competitive tennis. And he was able to test out his fitness this week. I feel okay. Um, I don't feel perfect, but yeah, like I've been, you know, I've been practicing well over the last month or so you know pretty consistently i've been training at wimbledon and um and yeah the, the the question mark is obviously whether the body holds up and you know i can't say with any great certainty right now whether that's going to happen or not because i've been feeling good at different points throughout the last nine months or so and 
you know, practiced really well and felt good going into tournaments and then, you know, something's happened or whatever happened in, in Miami. So it's, um, yeah, I can't say with any great certainty it'll be okay. I mean, I, I hope I will be um, because I'm I'm sure and I've seen enough again in, in practice that my tennis is fine um, and in a good place. But, you know, physically I need to need to hold up under playing matches. And after watching the recent epic at Roland Garros between his great rivals, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, perhaps unfairly, Murray was asked whether he thinks he can get back to that kind of level. Depends what, what, what my goal is. If my goal is to get to number one in the world or to win majors, like if that's the only reason why I would continue playing tennis, which it isn't, um, because if it was, then I would have stopped three, four years ago. And, um, you know, I got asked, you know, yesterday in an interview like oh you know at, at Queen's like what's been your best memories like from Queen's like looking back and I was like you know the first memory maybe if because it was most recent but it, you know for me it was not I don't think it was because of that it was like winning the doubles at Queen's with Feli for me it was like really special and I still created like you know a memory and something that I will look back on um, you know and be very proud and look, look back on that you know fondly um so you, you know you can still you know do things on, on the court um outside of winning slams you know or competing with those guys you know which you you, you can enjoy and um yeah and, and i you know what what i'm trying to do as well is has not happened before so like that's my own part of um you know my career and my journey that um you know, I, I like that as well. Um, I mean, in terms of that match, like, look, it was an incredible match. And, you know, there's a bit of me that's jealous watching that. Like, I would love to be playing in those matches. I would love to still be competing with them and semis and stuff of slams. I would love that. Um, I'm not going to not gonna try and try and hide that. But, you know, I also respect incredibly what they're doing and, and the level of tennis that they're playing. And in, in that match especially, for me, was, I mean, it was brilliant. They both played amazing. So many points in that match were just, yeah, they're just incredible. So, yeah, fair play to, to those guys that are still out there doing it. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't look at that match and think about, my own career really like uh, I, I wasn't thinking that really as 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 I was playing like what that what this means for me um really another man evaluating his comeback is 10-time Haller champion Roger Federer who lost at the event this week to Felix Auger Aliassim and raised eyebrows by making the media wait a lot longer than usual for his post-match press conference. It was not a good uh, attitude from my side. I was uh, disappointed in my the way I was feeling on court, the, the way things were going, um, that, you know, I, I'm not getting better spells and all that stuff. I just think, the, um, you know, the, the whole difficulty of the comeback got, got to me as well a little bit, um, how much I have to push on every point, try to make things happen and... Uh, I realized uh, it was not going to be my day. There was nothing I could do. I started to get really negative, you know, and this is not normally how I am uh, by any means. So I think this is uh, 
not something I'm, I'm happy about and proud about but at the same time if I look at my whatever 1500 matches I've played these things um, can happen you know but uh, the good thing is that uh, I know it will not happen the next time around and the next time and the next time that I'm going to be on court I think it's a that's also one of the reasons I wanted to take the time um, between the match and the press conferences to truly understand um, why did I feel this way uh, speak to Ivan a little bit and just um, figure it out so yeah I'd rather keep it simple and short in the press today um, I'd rather take my time coming into the press and not just doing it sweaty heated um, not sure what I'm going to say and just you know say wrong things and then um, you know straight away head up look forward don't take any silly decisions right now just uh, stay positive and then uh, we take it on to the next uh, next goal, which uh, is clearly Wimbledon. So um, um, today was disappointing, no, no doubt. Plenty to chew on for Roger Federer, but he will, of course, still be among the favourites at Wimbledon. And what of the man who beat him in Halle? 20-year-old Felix Auger-Aliassime spoke with Ursin Kaderis straight after the match. You know, it's an amazing win. Uh, I for sure didn't expect this. Of course, you know, I come in the match uh, wanting to win. But, you know, Roger was my idol, like many of us uh, growing up. So, first of all, it was a huge honor to, to play him uh, before, you know, he retired. And, and to beat him is something, you know, amazing that I have uh, with me. Now I'm going to cherish that. You know, it's a great moment for me and hopefully I can keep going like this. Growing up, did you ever visualize what it would be like to beat Roger Federer? Well, no, because I always thought uh, he would be gone, you know, when I arrived. Because, <laughs> you know, he was already winning Grand Slams and I was only, I don't know, like five years old. So, uh uh, I never expected to play him, you know, I, because I, I just wanted to be a professional one day. I didn't even think I would get to his level. So now to be on the same court as him and, and, and get the win is, uh, yeah, it's an honor for me. When you realized what could happen today, did you get nervous at all? Yeah, a little bit, but I was, I was playing really well, you know, serving well, protecting my serve uh, really good. Uh, you know, I served amazingly uh, in the third set, but, you know, it was tough in the first set. I thought he was playing so good. I was playing almost perfect, you know, uh, as good as I could play, and I lost 6-4. I was like, you know, if, if he was in his prime, I don't know, when he was number one in the world, that must have been scary. So I thought he was really good, and I, I still believed in my chances. I felt like since I was serving well, I wanted to see what I could do uh, further in the match, and, you know, it went my way, so it was really great. Afterwards, Felix also spoke with reporter Anne-Marie Batson, who asked him over Zoom how much he thought Tony Nadal's influence had enabled him to beat a player like Federer? Well, at the end of last year, uh, you know, I was at, at a point in my career where I felt like I wanted to um, have, I guess, a mentor in the team, uh, or you could call him a guide in tennis that um, we could get experience from and that would lead us, you know, uh, to the biggest stages and somebody that we could learn from. And we right away thought of Tony as, uh, you know, the best person uh, for us, um, of course, from his results and experience he has at the top level, but also from his values, the way he approaches uh, uh, the game, but, you know, the career uh, as, a, as a whole. Um, so I've been really uh, learning a lot uh, from Tony. Uh, it's been great to have him ar around me, around us as a team. And I think we can do great things in the future together. What have you learned from him, Felix? Well, you know, he brings a lot of, uh, I guess, intensity and consistency and the and the work and you know he wants me to be really be engaged in all the the practices and and the matches and uh um and I, I was surprised how 
meticulous also he was with uh with the technique you know and uh and how uh you know better and better he wanted me to to get you know technically and to get more precise in my shots and that's something that was a um, you know a good surprise and I like the way he worked from the first day we we were on the court together he was giving me you know instant feedback on what I could do better and I just feel like you know doing that uh, you never know when the results will come but overall you know it's it's good work that's being done uh, for me uh, for, for my career and you know it's it's never something lost. Because I guess he's got so much experience and so much knowledge. I guess you just want to soak all that up from him to help grow your own game. Yeah, for sure. There's a, you want to learn as a person, you want to learn as much as you can, but you also have to take your time, you know, go step by step and, and also not change your identity and, and the play that you are. And uh, I think uh, that can be, you know, um, the mistake that you can do with a, with, a, with a coach like him or a mentor is just trying to, to learn everything so fast and at the same time, instead of going, you know, slowly step by step. And I think, uh, you know, we've trying to, we've tried to do that, you know, just take it easy one week at a time. Uh, of course, there's things that come into conversations in different situations that we face during tournaments or practice, but I just feel like overall conversating with him, being around him, uh, you know, things come up and I, I just learn from, from stories or, or anecdotes or, or experiences that he's had with uh, with Rafa. Can you share any stories or anecdotes talking about Nadal? You know, there's many stories, but they all mostly come back around the same ideas and, and values, which is, you know, no matter what results uh, Rafa had, you know, good or bad, it was always about coming back to the simple things, the the, the process, and just trying to to be a better player and always improve. Um, you know, there's the famous story where, you know, he won his first Grand Slam, Rafa, and he told him everything he did bad, you know, in the final. And I, that just <laughs> makes us laugh. But at the same time, I think it speaks, uh, it speaks loud about uh, the, the player, that the person he is, you know, the, the type of coach he is. Uh, I think uh, what is great about Tony is that his, um, the joy I think he gets from coaching is also seeing the player improve, you know, not only winning, he enjoys all the practices every day were out on the court. He really, um, you know, feels uh, good about me improving and, and becoming a better player. Speaking of which, Tony said in an interview, this is a kid who theoretically should be among the best in the world in the years to come. How does hearing those words from him make you feel? Well, I always had, you know, really high belief that I could do it. Uh, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't be here right now. Uh, but to get a confirmation uh, from a coach like Tony, who's seen, you know, not only his nephew, but he's seen all the players in the last 20 years. You know, he's really interested into tennis and the game. So to get that confirmation from him, I think is a good thing. It just means that we're in the right direction. And at the same time, I have to give myself a bit of time. You know, I'm, I'm 21 this year. You know, I'm giving myself those next few years, uh, two, three years in front of me uh, to really put myself in a situation to, to be among the best uh, of the world. You know, there's... There might be just, you know, a handful or uh, two handfuls of players uh, um, that are going to be competing for Grand Slams in the years to come. Uh, there's a lot of good ones, but I need to put myself in a situation to, 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 to win those, 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 those type of tournaments. So there's a lot of work to do, a lot of improvements, but uh, I think uh, things are going in the right direction. How tempting is it, though, not to say to yourself, right, I want to achieve this by the end of 2021. I want to achieve this by 2022. 
Well, I think I've made that mistake in the past before uh, when I was, you know, two, three years ago, um, wanting to to give myself almost of a deadline for certain results. Um, when I actually was trying to break the top 100, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that. And it didn't result in anything good. I actually just finished outside the top 100. So and then just focusing on what I had to do actually gave me the right results. So I'm not really putting any deadline on, on type of results because sometimes you don't really control uh, that you can play a good opponent and then, you know, your two or three matches close uh, to to get what you want. But sometimes it's a bit of unlock. Sometimes it's bad timing. So, you know, I try not to focus on that, but rather focus on um, on what I control, which is uh, how I work, how I handle myself and how I compete. And also another part of the game that you'd want to control is your mindset as well. How do you manage to remain so positive and calm at the same time? Yeah, it's a super important part for me. And I think this is the part you control the most. You know, uh, the ball is not always easy to control as a player, but uh, your mind, I think, is the thing that you can uh, control the most. Um, and I think uh, that's the, the main thing. I mean, uh, the first thing is to control yourself and then you can try to control the ball, right? So, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's important for me to to stay positive, stay confident in, in what I have, to to keep on going, working well, to stay committed to to my sport. And I've been I've been really doing that well, you know, I think so far in my career, but uh, it has to keep going and improve. And I think uh, that will bring me, you know, the results that I want uh, eventually. Oje Aliassime would go on to lose in the semi-finals to the eventual champion, Hugo Umber, the young Frenchman beating Andre Rublev in straight sets to claim the third and biggest title of his career. Congratulations, Hugo. Finally, this week, from one Frenchman to another, but one who plays his tennis under the stars and stripes of the USA. Recently, I caught up with 24-year-old Maxime Cressy, whose total devotion to serve volley tennis surely makes him a grass court player. I started by asking how his tennis journey began. Yeah, I started playing with, uh, with my two big brothers and they... Uh, and they were really into tennis and I just followed their footsteps and uh, and I was just playing and, and grinding with them all the time. I was always very uh, persistent with them uh, to playing a lot as much as possible. Um, so I, I was inspired to, to play tennis thanks to my big brothers. Um, and I was also playing a lot in, on the wall while they were playing tournaments so I was like not really keen to watching their whole match so I would just play on the wall for hours and hours on end and uh, that's how I started to love tennis and that's how I got I got started to to play that sport yeah you call them your big brothers you're six foot six presumably they're no big they're no bigger than <laughs> no, you no far from that <laughs> it's very un-French actually to be this tall yeah. I, I, I've never met a Frenchman as tall as you yeah that's because my mom's American so I have that American blood uh, in me uh, yeah, my mom's pretty pretty tall. She's five foot, I would say five foot nine, five foot ten. Uh, she played volleyball at USC, uh, so she played a lot of volleyball, and uh, that's where I got my height from from my American family. Yeah, so it's not from my French family. <laughs> and you went on to play um, college tennis. I want to come on to that, but first of all, you're this incredible mixture. I hope you won't mind me saying of contradictions from from, from this dual parentage. Yes. Um, for example, favorite team is Paris Saint-Germain, which is a soccer team in Paris. Sure, yeah. But your favorite idol 
is Pete Sampras. Yes, so yes. French and American. Exactly. Yeah, I grew up uh, watching a lot of Pete Sampras play, and uh, my big my big brothers were huge Sampras fans as well, uh, and also they were obsessed with the PSG. So I was I was watching the games along with them. Uh, almost, yeah. I, Every uh, every time at 9 p.m. I'd be with them and they invite all their friends and I would just uh, cruise along with them and watch the PSG uh, every night. I all every time they played, I was a huge PSG fan. Um, but as I as I came to the states, I, I got to play, I got to watch uh, a lot of foot, American football at UCLA and uh, I got um, interested in the in the American uh, American sports. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I grew up uh, loving Pete Sampras. That's uh, why Pete Sampras and not Roger Federer. Because uh, you're you're you know 23. I, I'm intrigued to know why Pete, Pete was playing quite a long time ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. I it's just my my big brothers were huge Sampras fans, and they're they're 10 years and seven years older than me, so they they got to watch him more than me. Um, so I I just followed again my my brothers. Uh, my brother's footsteps and what they uh, aspired to, and uh, and now Sampras was a, a big idol for me. And uh, I mean, I just can't really explain. I just loved his game, and 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 I start to really develop a certain volley game thanks to um, to to Pete. So uh, I was going to come on to contradiction number two, which is <laughs> favorite city Paris, yes. favorite surface grass. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Which is refreshing these days. I, I I didn't get to play on grass much, but the few times I did, I was ama- I was so joyful and and, and happy. Um, my first my first and only tournament on grass was uh, in the Newport tournament, um, but I, I really really enjoyed playing on that grass, and and I'm really looking forward to playing more grass more grass seasons yeah you know there are not many grass court tournaments let's face it it's a relatively short short season isn't it but um you're looking forward to i guess playing in the uk as well yeah yeah yeah. i'm really looking forward to that unfortunately we couldn't with the covid last year uh which was really sad but um but uh this year i'm really excited for it and uh i think grass obviously suits my games perfect my game perfectly i was going to ask you about your game um and a serve volleyer goodness me i mean they're, they're a dying breed yeah uh, are you um you know what made you want to play that way other than obviously being six six and presumably serving big yeah I, actually when i was 13 14 years old i mean i was with the the french federation um and and i just i just was inspired to um one day i just out of nowhere i just uh uh, was inspired to play more serving volley um, because I was playing an opponent that was much better than me on the baseline. So uh, I was I was forced to play on the uh, serving volley, and I and I really felt good uh, putting volleys away. So uh, that's when I started to 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 really uh, ask myself if that's what is if that's a style of game I wanted to pursue. And uh, and uh, ever since I started to do it more and more and more. Um, and at the beginning, it was it wasn't as successful because it's a very demanding game. Um, but I I was very I was very persistent and I just kept doing it over and over again. And and it's just the love of it that kept that really pushed me to to develop that game. So are you now known within American tennis as a serve volleyer? Because yes, yeah. there aren't that very many, are there? No, not, not anymore. Who's the last great American serve volleyer? I mean, I'm, obviously Pete Sampras. Has, has there been a really obvious one since then? 
Yeah, Pete, I think. Pete, yeah, uh, but si since Pete. Um, no, I also... Um, American tennis. Uh, no, I, I loved Pat Rafter, an Australian player. Yes, also. yeah, yeah. And Tim Henman was a was a serve Tim volley. Also, yeah, there is a there were a ton um, back then, but uh, not many now though. You've got to be pretty brave now. these days to back your volley, haven't you? With yeah. the way guys are playing and how hard they're hitting it, is yeah, it tough? I've I've always been different than most people, I guess. Where when I was with the federation and when in college, and I always I always felt like I always felt good being unique and, and different than everyone. And uh, pursuing that game is is one of the the ways I wanted to um, really show that uniqueness, and uh, and I, I really feel good doing it, and I believe I can go really far with that with that game with my belief, and uh, and I'm never gonna stop doing it. So, <laughs> what is the secret for you at this early stage, I guess, of making a success of serve volleying? What do you need to do well now? to serve volley well and win matches? I think uh, it's a very, very demanding game. And um, for me, the mental side is really crucial. Um, and a huge load of determination and, uh, and persistence, never giving that up, you know, because um, a lot of players these days can, uh, I mean, the, the um, certain volleyers of today they could they could see a certain volleying as a challenge and then and then do more serve and, and staying back, but I'm not that I'm not really into that and to um, just staying back after the serve and I just really want to stay consistent and doing it systematically, and I think that's what makes it more dangerous even more dangerous to do it systematically for me. Um, but the this for me the secret would be um, to always really be persistent and determined and and not and make decisions with a hundred percent conviction in all my decisions um, prior to serving and um, mental consistency that's key Do you go in behind your second serve too or just the first every serve, serve yeah yeah, yeah first sure. and second yeah and I've and I recently decided to do two first serves not just um, yeah so my first that's serve that's very Pete yeah exactly yeah that, that's that's also I mean most of my game is is, is inspired from Pete uh, and uh, and I believe that the more the more repetitions the more I, I go for my second serves and the le the more fearless I'll become and uh, so no I'm not I'm not gonna go backwards and I'm just gonna keep going for both for both both serves another way in which you buck the trend is that you played college tennis but you've also played a lot on the Challenger Tour, which mm -hmm. some, some people do one or the other. Not yeah. many people do a lot of both. Yes. Um, which is the best, having done both, which has helped you the most to get to where you are now? Uh, that UCLA helped me a tremendous amount uh, playing uh, competitively every week um, for, for UCLA, really um, developed that mental fortitude, that mental uh, edge that I, that I needed um, when I... Uh, transition to the professional tour um, but I started playing challengers uh, while I was in college my senior year um, I played three challengers I, I believe during my senior year and uh, and I was fortunate that to win the second uh, challenger in Cleveland um, that proposed my ranking to 310 so after college I could play challengers every week um, so no I I it was it was a hard decision. It was very difficult to mix the, the challengers and the professional 
uh, tournaments with college because of the of missing classes and and uh, and needing to juggle between both. It was very difficult, um, and I, I had obviously um, thoughts of going pro earlier. Um, but I believe that I need, I needed to be more mature and 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 stick to my another year senior my senior year in college. But um, no, I playing professional tennis really helped my my mental game. Yeah, like I developed that um, that resiliency um, with playing every week and and losing and and that really uh, made me stronger mentally. Yeah, fantastic. Um, talking about the year you've had so far obviously building up to, to where we are. The Australian Open on paper looks like a real breakthrough for you. You strung a, a lot of wins together. You played Sasha Zverev um, there. Did it, did it feel like a big breakthrough? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely did. But uh, again, um, I, had, I already had that belief in me for a long time. And I, and I, I, knew, I knew within me that it was just a matter of time when my breakthrough would come. And um, and for me, a real breakthrough for me would be to to have a really big result in an ATP event or a, a Masters of Thousand or um, a Grand Slam. And for me, second round is is for a first step, uh, but it's not a breakthrough. Um, for me, a breakthrough would be a, a carrot self uh, run. But uh, no, I, I'm I'm waiting patiently for another big break, a bigger breakthrough to to come and. Uh, I'm working every day uh, towards that end, and and um, no, I, I'm looking forward to to what's to come. Thanks to Maxime Cressy and to all of our guests this week. We'll be back with another podcast next weekend, previewing the magic of Wimbledon ahead of the third Grand Slam of the year. So until then, enjoy the tennis. 